something we hope you'll really like. Okay, so thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm Dr. Matthew Plant from Toronto, and I am here with, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? All right, thank you, sir. Uh, Dr. Giancarlo McEvenue from Miami, Florida. So we decided we wanted to start a podcast because we really just didn't think that there was anything out there for the people that we feel we speak to, which is people who just want kind of the real deal about plastic surgery, no kind of like old white guy preaching to them, no sort of like young slick salesman trying to sell them procedures they don't need. Just uh, two guys who really have no appetite for BS and really just love to give the real deal to people. I think that's, so, that, that's a great description. Keeping it real. That's right. Keeping it real. But, you know, not the trademark, keeping it real like Dr. Miami. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that his trademark? It's a pretty good one. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> get our lawyers on the uh, phone we need to trademark that that's right that'll be the next episode um inter intellectual property but the what so, dr plant was about to do was introduce himself and how we know each other and we actually go right. way back uh, a lot of people don't realize how tough and long surgical residency it's like uh, a, a war being at war so uh, dr plant is my war buddy uh and it's right. really a really tough times create diamonds and so uh, Dr. Plant's going to introduce himself now, and then I'll follow. All right. So um, I guess I'll give you sort of my standard bio. Uh, so I did my medical school at the University of Western Ontario in London. And uh, then I made my way a couple hours up the road back to Toronto for residency. And uh, that's where I spent uh, about six years or so uh, working alongside uh, Dr. Giancarlo and a bunch of other people and, um, you know, learning our skills and basically having the tar beaten out of us by uh, our supervisors and uh, just sort of making us, uh, let's say, thick skinned. It's a good expression. So, uh, you know, I was born in Canada. My dad is Colombian immigrant. My mom is Canadian. Uh, I did all my schooling in Toronto up until university, and then I went to the Caribbean for medical school, uh, so a little bit nicer weather than uh, London, Ontario for Dr. Plant. Uh, and then we, Dr. Plant and I actually met at the University of Toronto, which is a very, um, I call it the Harvard of Canada. Maybe I'm biased because I went there, but I think it is. Uh, it was an excellent school, excellent training program, but it was tough. Our supervisors, if they're watching, we love you, but you guys are tough. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was there for about six years or so as well. Um, and I went and practiced for two years at the McLean Clinic in Mississauga afterwards, doing a lot of transgender surgery with the excellent uh, world-renowned Dr. McLean. And then an opportunity arose to uh, do a more digital online uh, kind of practice in Miami, Florida. And so I took the opportunity and here I am. All right, you, uh, you tell your story way better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've been doing these Instagram lives every uh, week now, and I feel like now the flow and the comfort on recording is so much better. The first few weeks I was like, uh, 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 and now it's just like, it's going with it. Well, it, uh, it definitely shows. <laughs> um, so uh, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what exactly made our lives so hard in residency before we start kind of telling people all about procedures. Uh, why don't we give them a little background on us so they understand why they should actually listen to us. Um, so 
I don't know, what's what's kind of the worst thing that you remember being done to you as a resident or a med student <laughs> by a staff person? Let's start there. Well, I mean, there's like some like bad memories and there's some good memories and there's some some things in between. But I think one of the worst things that ever happens was when, once as a medical student, and this is like a sensitive story, but I'm going to tell it because whatever, uh, <laughs> is I was a medical student working in an unnamed uh, med surge ICU, uh, you know, working my guts off because I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. So people may also not know this, but plastic surgery is a very competitive specialty. So they only take the best medical students. So at this time, I was like staying up you know, 30 hours and you're a medical student. So you're reading, you're studying and you're, you're trying to be your best ever. And I had been up, you know, for maybe 30 hours and in the morning you have to do rounds. And so we were doing rounds and one of the staff was asking questions. It's called pimping uh, for people who don't know. It's where they, the staff members and the older residents try and nice. you know show off their knowledge a little bit by asking you questions that you probably don't know the answer to. So anyway, we were all exhausted and this one staff was, was doing the rounds and we were doing, maybe an hour of this pimping. And, you know, at the end of a long, long shift, it was just getting really tough. So I literally fell asleep standing up and hit the wall and made a noise. So, you know, like you doze off and you wow. kind of like this, but I hit the wall. So I made a noise. Every, you could hear a pin drop. Everyone looked at me and I just looked at everyone. I was like, uh, uh, sorry, sir. Like, um, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. And he like lost his cool on me. Like he kind of was like, you know, if you don't want to be here, you don't need to be here. If you don't want to work, if you, and I'm like, no, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. And, <laughs> you know, just like trying to like weather the storm. And then after he actually apologized to me, but I've never taken a beating like that. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I was working harder than I've ever worked before or after. And to get berated like that, it was like, it was crushing, soul destroying. So I think that was my worst story. And and I think from that experience, I just learned, number one, I would never do that to anyone. I treat my, treat my med school students like med students like gold, my residents like gold. If someone's tired, I send them home because I know people are working hard. So it kind of taught me a lesson on how not to behave. Yeah, no kidding. When it comes to uh, crazy stuff, surgeons definitely know how to uh, destroy your entire psyche in oh like two minutes or less. Yeah, it's uh, just one of those talents. I think because uh, so I guess, we, yeah, go ahead, you, you're going to say. No, no, you go ahead, you go. I think just to finish on your point is because we care so much and we're putting our heart and soul into this. So it's actually not that hard to destroy someone. You actually have to be very careful of what you say to a medical student or a trainee because they're so sensitive because like everything matters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Especially going for like a competitive specialty, mm -hmm. like plastics or something like literally anything that anybody reprimands you for. You're like, uh Oh, there goes my residency. There goes my life. I'm going to be a proctologist. They're going to kick me out of med school. You know, like who knows right. all these, your life flashes before your eyes for like the simplest infraction. But the reality is everyone makes mistakes. No one is perfect. Uh, so it, it's a tough situation to be in. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, it's better to make those mistakes as a resident than it is, mm. you know, once you're a staff and there's no one to kind of let you know you've made a mistake before something shows up as a complication. 100%. So I guess I might as well share uh, my sort of worst story during uh, med school and residency. Uh, so it happened when I was a third year med student. I was a clerk on general surgery. And I remember it was about three in the morning and we were dealing with this bowel, I think, rupture, actually. 
and uh, we did the full open procedure. The patient was open from like sternum all the way down to their pubic bone. Oh my and I'm there, I'm, you know, basically water skiing, which is what we call people who get to hold a retractor and just hold it for an hour and not move. And if you, you, can't, move, even, you, and you can't even see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, you just hold on to this retractor and like do not move it so that your staff does not notice you. Um, so I think after about probably 75 minutes or so of like holding this thing, my hands were numb, like my feet were killing, my back was about to go out. And I think it moved, I don't know, maybe a millimeter or so. So he decided to give me a different job because clearly I sucked at that one. Uh, he handed me a uh, metal tray just, uh, you know, for putting objects in. Told no. me to hold it like really close to my stomach. Oh, yeah, oh you know where this God. is going. Oh and uh, yeah, so I got to hold this metal tray and you can kind of picture me like a human basketball net. Like the tray is the hoop. My chest is the backboard. backboard. And uh, <laughs> and so when he got into the, the problem area where all of the uh, fecal matter had escaped the bowels into the belly and he started pulling these pieces of poop out, um, they needed to go somewhere. So he decided to toss them into this receptacle and use my chest as an actual backboard when doing that. That's so bad. <laughs> yep. Just like he, the monkeys he, exhibit at the zoo. Did he shout Kobe before like throwing things at you? He just gave me this look oh. and then silence. Most scared I've ever been. But you know, I think this is, that is like a horrible story. It almost makes mine seem benign. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, it's it just gonna highlight the difference between kind of old school medicine, old school surgery and kind of new school. We're the new school. And the old school, unfortunately was a very cold, mean place where there is no weakness. There is no, work-life balance there is no feelings you're there like as a um uh, almost like a slave type situation because they went through that so they think that's the way it needs to be for for their their trainees it's a uh, kind of a sad situation because i would never treat a, a student like that or or another um kind of trainee it's awful yeah no, but we gotta I, we gotta go I to positive stuff that. now <laughs> let's yeah, do a positive true, start it's like, so, oh, this podcast uh, is a downer, man. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, I, I suspect people listening are uh, still laughing at us a little yeah. bit. Maybe, maybe downer for us. Um, How about, okay, let's, let's do it. What's the best memory or what's the best um, thing you did as a trainee or a medical student or best, I don't know, uplifting? <laughs> uplifting. Um You want to take I, this one? Yeah, I can. Maybe while I think about it. Yeah, I have I have a, a lot actually, and that was the nice thing about plastic surgery and being a surgeon is you help a lot of people, and there's a lot of you know, beautiful stories on the way. But I think the most famous one that I was involved with as a very small you know cog in the machine was I was able to assist during the uh, first hand transplant at Toronto Western, and this was a uh, you know it's this story is all in the news. Uh, this it was a nurse who had had a rollover car accident and lost one of her arms from the elbow down. And with a 24 operation and like, you know, eight surgeons uh, working around the clock uh, for a full like 30 hours, we reattached her 
um, hand and, and now it's fully functional. And I just remember being a part of that. I felt like being on the world series team as the bat boy, but it was like, it was still amazing. Cause right. like your hand, you know, you're still a part of the team as the smallest role. And it yeah. just felt you still like get the ring. Yeah. You still get the ring. And it just felt like so special to be a part of something so um, meaningful, impactful. And the fact that it was a first time in Canada was like even more like, you know, Blue Jays World Series. So I think that kind of made all the tough times that you go through like worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually totally remember when that happened, seeing it on like your social media and stuff. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. Um, so I guess for me, probably the, the story that sticks out as positive was uh, when I was working at um, one of the major trauma centers and uh, this young guy, probably in his early 20s, came in and he had been in a fight with his girlfriend and um, decided that things were bad enough that he wanted to take his own life. And uh, he actually took a shotgun, put it under his chin and pulled the trigger and did actually attempt to kill himself. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of a well-known mechanism in plastic surgery that it's basically impossible to actually kill yourself with a shotgun just because the way the angles work out, it's always just pointing straight up. So it ends up severely damaging your face and not actually injuring much brain tissue, which leaves you alive and very disfigured and very in pain. And I remember this gentleman came in and, um, you know, I won't go into detail about what things looked like, but you can imagine they were very messy. It was, uh, it was really bad. And uh, I just remember we took him to the operating room, we cleaned things up, we brought him back, I think, probably every second day for at least a week to do little reconstructions here and there. Wow. And then we did kind of a big reconstruction to, to do all the soft tissue once all of the bones had been plated together and stuff. And, um, you know, he was in the hospital for a while, but I remember when he was finally able to talk again, which, you know, on its own was a miracle given the injury he'd had. Um, one of the first things he said was, you know, he was really happy he'd lived. He was really thankful to everybody that had wow. done, you know, whatever they could. And uh, he totally regretted doing what he did. And, you know, I hope he went on to live, you know, a very full life. Unfortunately, I was a resident. So like you were, I was a very small cog in a big machine. And, I have no idea what uh, became of that gentleman in the end. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. I found that when I've ever, I treated a suicide failure, they always regret it because they see the outpouring of love and, and, and grief from their family and friends. And they're like, what was I doing? You know, they were in a dark place, not thinking logically. Um, but then you also had, you should share the, the really amazing story because I think I, you either presented, I think you presented that one in rounds, but you also had the famous shark bite in Canada, which when I first heard of it, I was yeah. like, how the heck did someone get bit by a shark in Canada? There's like, there's no such thing, but you should share fish that market. one because that because <laughs> <laughs> that's an epic, pretty epic story that you were a part of. Yeah, no, I, uh, I was very lucky to be one of the residents on that case. I'm not going to pretend that I was the only resident on the case because this patient was being treated for many, many months. So I, you know, happened to be there towards the beginning of it, but I rotated out at the end and others came in. But um, this was a kind of big story. Uh, I don't know, I want to say like around 2012, 2013, where um, it, it was a nurse, actually. I don't know why this stuff always happens to nurses. Um, 
Because nurses so, are daredevils, man. They're like warriors. They save other people's lives. And then they're like, on their personal life, they're like extreme. Like I've seen, the, I, I, got, I have a lot of nurses on Facebook and they're always doing like extreme vacationing, extreme sports. I think they're just like, probably like doctors, a bit of like adrenaline, surgeons, especially adrenaline junkies, I think. Yeah. Rolling cars, jumping sharks. <laughs> right. That was the nurse stuff. with the hand yeah. transplant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she was down actually vacationing in Cancun and, uh, you know, went into the water as many people do when they're on vacation in Cancun. And, uh, unfortunately she made a new friend who was not so friendly and, um, they the, know what kind of shark the, it was. I don't think it was a great white. Um, I think it was one of the lesser sharks um, that I don't really know the difference between. Not a hammerhead, because that one's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't know either. I was just interested because now here in yeah. Boca, like I swim a lot and I'm like, I'm kind of learning about the different sharks, mostly because of fear of shark bites, but uh, maybe it was a bull or a black tip. That's what I would guess. I actually, bull shark sounds very familiar now that you bring it up. Um, so anyway, she, you know, was bitten by this shark. Um, I think the first bite went to her thigh, took out a very large piece of the thigh, and then the shark actually came back at her and she tried to, I think, punch it in the nose or something along those lines. And She's definitely uh, a nurse. Up... She's a fighter. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, so it, it caught her arm, I think, while she was wow. swinging, and um, it did some significant damage to her uh, forearm. And uh, she was initially treated in Mexico. And uh, I mean, I don't want to disparage anyone. I'm sure everybody tried their best, but uh, some some interesting things were done there that we wouldn't necessarily do here. So um, the piece of her thigh actually washed back up on the beach. And uh, a good Samaritan who was trying to be helpful you know, turned it over to the EMS and they brought it to the hospital. I think it showed up an hour or two after her. Um, you know, I think we would have probably recognized this during our residency that this is no longer viable tissue. It's been in you know, the ocean for a while and then sitting on the beach in the sun. Um, there is no good outcome from putting this back on someone. Uh, definitely not placing it as a graft. Um, you know, we would want to hook up some blood supply. So they basically put this back on, didn't actually look like they cleaned it. Um, and just- I heard, like that was one of the details I remember. I remember there was sand in the wound. Yeah, it was crazy. So, you know, she came back to Canada, I think it was like five days later. And first thing straight into the operating room, like let's clean these things up. Um, this tissue was very much not alive. And as it started coming off, there was just like sand pouring out of it. And uh, the arm was not in much better shape. Um, unfortunately, she did go on to lose the arm, but uh, we were able to reconstruct the leg to the point that she was walking quite well. And I think the summer after this happened, so about 12 months, she actually went on a bike tour of Europe just to wow. you know, kind of say like, F you to this shark, you can't take my leg. I'm gonna bike all the way around Europe. Oh, and that's a ha like a happy ending of what what could have been a really, a uh, horrible situation, but with plastic surgery, you guys were able to give her back not only her form, but also her function, um, which is an amazing story. Yeah, it was a, it was a very memorable case. Um, but you recently actually published a case that, you know, frankly is somehow even more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it's not like a one upper because there's, so, there's so many different amazing stories. I'm sure we've, 
been involved with, but this one was a, a doozy that I was involved with in residency and it also made the news and it also has been published. Um, and then when I did publish, it kind of went viral. So, you know, I was getting interview requests from like CNN Latvia and like a German, wow. like Der, Der Spiegel wanted to like <laughs> reach out to me, but it was funny. Uh, they all wanted to talk to the patient because basically the story in a very shortened summary is a patient was minding their own business, which is always the case when someone is shot, they're not doing anything wrong. And uh, she got shot on the left side of her chest, right over her heart. There's an entrance wound. It went through her breast implant, deflected a little bit off course from kind of where it was pointed across her chest. And then the bullet was lodged in her right, below her right implant on the right side. So when the trauma team called us and when we saw the x-rays, we're like, this doesn't make any sense. It was like JFK's magic bullet. Like, you don't know right. how this happened. So, you know, we, we took out the implants, we took photos, we, we looked at the CT scans with some like ballistic experts. And the final conclusion was the only reasonable explanation is that the implant actually played a role in deflecting this bullet and saving uh, this young lady's life. So it was like CSI Toronto. Um, and Amazing. then, yeah, and it was an awesome story. And the, the, the funny thing was, so I kind of claimed that all these newspapers were, were wanting interview requests. It's only a half truth. The full truth is they wanted to talk to the patient. <laughs> they were just like, Hey, that's a great story. Can we talk to this patient? And I'm like, listen, she, after, uh, getting shot with a bullet disappeared. She, you know, we didn't even do follow-up care, follow-up care. Wow. She just kind of went, uh, MIA. And which I, maybe you can understand if someone shot you, maybe she didn't want to be found by these uh, individuals. So yeah. that was that. And I mean, even if she was around because of confidentiality, it's not like you could have told them who she was anyways. No, exactly. So, you know, that's a, a good point is that, you know, all the stories we're talking about, you know, the patient has to give permission to talk about it, but they never ever really give permission for their name to be used. You can't use the name. But that's interesting about the hand transplant. She actually was on the front page of the Toronto Star because the hand transplant was a nurse and she wanted to be the face uh, of this kind of new uh, surgical program that they were developing at the Toronto West. But yeah, the, the bullet uh, implant lady just disappeared. Wow. So I, I got two questions about that for you that I kind of been wondering since yeah, I heard about go this ahead. case. So, do you think that it was like the patch on the back? Um, for those of you who don't know what an implant looks like, it's like a big circle of silicone, but at the very back of it, there's kind of this little circle that's harder where it closes off the hole that they fill it from. So do you think that that is sort of what it ricocheted off? So we actually, when we took out the implant and in the paper, there's a nice photo where we take a steel rod and you can follow through the implant. You can see there's like little wow. dirt and, and debris through the, the, the implant. And it didn't hit the, I know what you're talking about. And, and it hmm. didn't hit that tougher area. It actually went obliquely through the implant um, and just through the regular parts of the shell. What I really think, and this is what the ballistic experts think is that the bullet, when the person went up and shot, it was very close range. The bullet was hmm. already at a weird angle. Like it wasn't, even though the bullet hole looked like it was straight, probably the gun was at a bit of an angle and the, the implant, it's like when anything hits a different medium, like, you know, when you hit water or you hit gel, it has mm. a little bit of an effect. It's going to change the trajectory just a little bit. And the gel 
just by a factor of maybe a degree or a half a degree was able to deflect the bullet enough that it went off the uh, sternum. And the funniest thing, or the, I say the funny, most interesting thing is you'd think, okay, well, where was her rib fractures? Cause maybe the implant didn't do anything. It was the ribs mm-hmm. that it bounced off. So the only one rib fracture she had was on the right side where the bullet landed. So it wow. didn't actually hit any bones on the, on the um, side where the, the um, bullet entrance was. So that's why the conclusion is, I mean, you'll never know unless you actually do an experiment where you create the exact right. same conditions, but just like best guess with the CT scans and with the evidence that we have is that the implant, whether it was one degree or half a degree, saved this woman's life. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we, I, mean now I, wanted, I wanted to do the experiments. Hey, eh? imagine you get the funding. You're like, okay, so let's get yeah. a bunch of implants. We'll get a bunch of uh, handguns and we get to fire them through implants. Uh, and there was one study where they, where these guys did it through silicone to see uh, yeah. what the kind of bullet stopping properties of a silicone implant is. And they're not good. It doesn't stop bullets, but it does have an influence on their trajectory. Interesting. Yeah. And now you're kind of like ideally positioned to do that experiment. A plastic surgeon <laughs> in America, you have unlimited access to breast implants and guns. Well, people came out with some good comments, like exactly like yours. Like they're like, what do you think like a bulletproof uh, coded implant would sell? Like maybe you could sell it to the US military or you could do these things. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It seems like a lot when you could just mm-hmm. put a vest over your chest, but yeah. And the other surprising thing is with the amount of guns and with the amount of implants, around the world, but especially in the United States, you think this would be more common, but there's actually only, you know, four or five cases in the literature where uh, an implant has been hit by the bullet and the, and the woman survived. And, and this is the only one where it was a uh, definitely evidence that it was the implant that saved her. The other cases, it was kind of like incidental. Wow. Yeah. And uh, did the implant company cover replacements under the rupture warranty for that? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I, 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 I'm pretty sure they did. Remember, I was a resident in my final year, so I didn't deal with, with those questions, but I'm pretty sure right. they would have uh, replaced that implant for that reconstructive case. Oh, and that's the other yeah. thing we didn't, we didn't put the, an implant back in. Cause remember it was kind of like an infected traumatic field. Yeah. So we just removed the implant and we offered her, if she wants a reconstruction, just wait till there's no signs of infection, you know, a couple of months, uh, we'll see how you're doing. And she disappeared. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've noticed, um, like I treated a few gunshot wounds when I was a resident. I'm sure you've seen other gunshot wounds as well. Um, you know, when you mentioned that the trajectory was kind of wonky to begin with, like yes. one thing that I noticed in Toronto is honestly, people are horrible shots. Like I've seen cases where like somebody should not survive. Like I remember this one guy who came in, you know, again to the trauma center, he had been shot 10 times. Um, and I think it was like from three or four feet away by multiple guns at the same time. And everything like glanced off him. There were no actual injuries. I think the only one that was like a real wound was like one went through the palm of his hand. So we like sutured it, but it missed the bones. It missed the muscles. It missed the arteries, missed the tendons and literally just went right through. He was barely bleeding and he got sent home the same day. But I think caliber of weapon has a lot to do with it because, you know, definitely this woman that it was probably a low caliber handgun, you know, like almost one grade above a BB gun, that kind of deal. And so maybe uh, your guy too, like 
you know, the power of the weapon has a big difference. And I think here in the US, people use like those powerful semi-automatic weapons. Uh, and I think in Canada, a lot, they, they're usually smuggled smaller guns. This is just me, you know, playing CSI Toronto with my, yeah. my gun knowledge now. So I think that, that that guy just got either extremely lucky or more likely they were just using kind of very crappy handguns. They weren't using the Clint Eastwood like magnums, you know. That's right. <laughs> it's not a like blowing a hole in a door like this. Yeah, no, <laughs> not those ones. Yeah, always go hunting with a howitzer. That's it. So I don't know. I think this was a pretty good intro because I feel like this was uh, mm-hmm. a good intro. I, I think the 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 podcast to come. You know, if you guys are interested, we're going to really focus on specific procedures, uh, the differences between you know Canada and the U.S. And the differences, I think, between us as new, newer school, younger plastic surgeons versus maybe the old, older school plastic surgeons and also non-plastic surgeons that are trying to kind That's of right. be the hucksters. I cannot wait to talk to you about uh, psychiatrists doing liposuction in Florida. No. But we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> we definitely so, have to uh, save that one. Yeah, this uh, let's let's end on a high note, as George Costanza says, and uh, we will uh, talk to you all at the next episode. All right.